This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Midnight in Paris. I mean, this, this is unbelievable. There's no city like this in the world. You're in love with a fantasy. I'm in love with you. What are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> Dad's here in business, and we just decided to preload a lot. <laughs> That's great. We can spend some time together. I think we have a lot of commitments, but I'm sure it's... What? If I'm not mistaken, Rodin's work was influenced by his wife, Camille. Rose was the wife. No, he was never married to Rose. I hope you're not going to be as antisocial tomorrow. I'm not quite as taken with him as you are. He's a pseudo-intellectual. Slightly more tannic than the 59. I prefer a smoky feeling. Carol and I are gonna go dancing. Dancing. We heard of a great place. Interested? No, 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 no. I I don't want to be a killjoy, but I I, I need to get a little fresh air. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Midnight in Paris, and the story is as follows. Gil Pender is a screenwriter, an aspiring novelist, vacationing in Paris with his fiancée. He has taken to touring the city alone. On one such late-night excursion, Gil encounters a group of strange yet familiar revelers who sweep him along, apparently back in time, for a night with some of the Jazz Age's icons of arts and literature. The more time Gil spends with these cultural heroes of the past, the more dissatisfied he becomes with the present. The film is starring Owen Wilson, Kathy Bates, Adrian Brody, Carla Bruni, Marion Cotillard, Rachel McAdams, and Michael Sheen. It is written and directed by Woody Allen. And here to join me today for this 2011 throwback podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Dan Baer. Bonjour. Yeah, no, I don't speak French. (laughs) So, Midnight in Paris had its world premiere at the 2011 Cannes Film Festival. And I figured with Cannes right around the corner right now, how fitting since we're doing this 2011 retrospective, why not cover two films that were nominated for Best Picture this year that both premiered at Cannes? So that's what we're doing here. Midnight in Paris. We're kicking it off first here. Now, addressing the elephant in the room off the bat, though. Yes, we understand that this is a Woody Allen film. And we also understand that Woody Allen is an extremely controversial figure. Uh, this is not an endorsement of any kind of Woody Allen as a person. I think that what he has done, while it's still hotly debated amongst many people out there, 
Um, I think that there is at this point more than enough evidence to make up your mind on the matter. And we here at MVP do not publicly uh, endorse or condone his actions. But with that said, this is still an awards podcast and we are doing a throwback and we are covering all of the films that were nominated for Best Picture in 2011. And we can't change history. Midnight in Paris is a film that is a part of that history and it was nominated for Best Picture that year. Thus, it is part of this retrospective as a result. So I understand that for some, it might be tough to hear us maybe talk about this movie. Um, and I completely understand. I think for all three of us, to some degree or another, it's hard for us to also wrestle with our feelings towards this movie. Suffice to say that we're going to do our best to judge the movie as it is. And I think it's fair to still have an opinion on Alan. That's all well and good. Uh, but with that said, we're going to do our best here to stick to the movie at hand. I think that's a very appropriate statement. And as you said, we obviously don't condone anything that Woody Allen has done. And we understand that people have very strong feelings about him and justifiably so. But at the same time, movies, you know, they don't exist in a vacuum. And it's important to always talk about films with the context that they came out in, both in in that uh, time that they did come out and also how we look at it now. And I think it's important to acknowledge that, but also acknowledge that these movies do exist and they are still pieces of art that are worthy of commentary. And while you can have judgments on the people who made that art, and you should, I still think that that does not mean that the conversation about what they have created should dissipate at the same time, especially when there's a lot of other things that can be spawned from it. So I do think it's a worthy conversation to have, even acknowledging that, yes, there is a problematic source at the center of it, but it's one thing that's part of a much bigger conversation with any piece of art out there. And I think it's also important to acknowledge, too, what you said there about how you can view a piece of art in the year in which it comes out one way, and then many years down the road, it can sour on you. And I think it is worthwhile to compare and discuss those experiences. I think that there are some learns that not only you yourself can get out of it, but maybe also our listeners can also get out of that too. I've had times over the years where I've enjoyed films more than I first saw, uh, than when I first viewed them, and I've seen movies years later where I have definitely done a 180 on them. And sometimes it's because of life experiences. Other times it is because of the individuals involved. And you just at a certain point can't separate what someone has done and your view of that person from the film. But you still have that memory of maybe how you saw it prior to that event happening. And I think that this is just very important to get out there openly and discuss. In many ways, it does remind me of being back in like college and film school where you did have an open forum to talk about these things uh, freely without judgment. And that's that's how I feel with you and Dan right now. Um, I'm, I'm glad that we're I'm glad that we're that we're here and we're doing this. Me too. I mean, not to go all Lydia Tar on y'all's asses, but part of media literacy is being able to talk about art regardless of who made it and its merits as a piece of art as art. And with that said, 
part of medieval literacy is also being able to talk about the art that was created by people with whom you don't agree or think has a lot of moral failings in one way or another, or in some cases in multiple ways. There are lots of artists who were not the best people, even going all the way back to the start of history, but any piece of art is still worthy of critique. And you can't look at the present state of any art form without looking at the art that was created in the past and how it was received. So with that said, latest viewing here, 2023, bit of retrospective. We'll start off with Josh Parham. Josh, what did you think of Midnight in Paris? So first off, I would actually just say that this is a movie that when I first saw it in 2011, my opinion was it was okay. I didn't really dislike it all that much, but I didn't really find myself liking it either. I just thought it was fine. And because of that, I actually really have not watched this movie since it came out. So it has been well over a decade since I last saw this film. And I did revisit it for our discussion because it would be essentially like having a brand new perspective on it. And my opinion now is I find this movie annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I really was kind of restless with this film and, and I'm annoyed by kind of just the general outlook that it has on its storytelling and its characters. I find that almost everybody in this movie is insufferable, maybe with like one or two exceptions, but I did not like any of the characters really. I found them to be pretty flatly drawn. I think the commentary that it has about nostalgia and looking back is is pretty obvious and they pretty much also spell that out and towards the end of the film too like it's a handsomely made movie overall and it does have a couple moments i did find charming but overall i just found it to not really work for me i I didn't think that the storytelling was all that innovative and it felt pretty surface level and as i said like most of the characterizations i just was very I, i found to be very grating so not really a movie that I enjoyed all that much uh, coming back to it after all these years. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Dan Bear, how about you? Uh, very similar to Josh. When I saw it, I, I I liked it fine and sort of, you know, filed it away in my little mental Rolodex of movies that I saw and never thought about it again until, you know, every someone would bring up 2011 and I'm like, oh, yeah, that movie existed. And watching it again for this, I was reminded very much of that first viewing where it's everything in the present day is completely insufferable. Oh, God, so bad. (laughs) And I get why, obviously, in like, like, in order to tell this story, it kind of everyone kind of has to be insufferable in the present. But even still... (laughs) And getting, like, Rachel McAdams, of all people, to play, like, one of the shrewiest, nastiest wives, least caring wives that I've ever seen in any movie, it, it it's beyond frustrating. But putting all that aside, once we do get to, you know, the titular moment, it's so... 
well made cinematically. I think once you get to the 1920s and it's so the conceit is so clever and the casting of the actors who play the people he meets back then are like beautiful character actor choices. But I don't know. I had this problem when I first saw it and I think that problem has only deepened over the years with that. I find this movie's message to be extremely muddled. That's very interesting considering that they kind of tell you what the message of the movie is in the third act. Well, yeah, and don't get me started about how much I hate that. (laughs) But it's this weird thing where it's not in the text of the movie, but considering who the movie is coming from Mm -hmm. and what it's about, you kind of can't help but have this like meta quality to it. Oh yeah. And that's when I start to get like, Oh God. Yeah. But like, you don't really like, are you really saying what I think you're saying? Because I, I don't think that. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. He wants to go back to a time when he idolized all these, you know, writers and bone vivants and blah, blah, blah. That all exists today, too. But we're not shown any of that in the world of the present. They may not exist in this guy's immediate circle, but you could have, you could still have, people still have salons and, you know, get-togethers of creative people. That has not gone away since the 1920s. So it just feels kind of disingenuous to say, oh my God, the, the art, the people, the culture we had back then, oh, Oh, how wasn't it wonderful? And it's like, well, yeah, but like if you wanted that today, you could find it. And instead, the movie is kind of like, no, that doesn't exist. Okay, so when I saw this in 2011, I thought it was just okay. But then again, I also was like, I, I never have been the biggest Woody Allen fan in general. I know he's made some bonafide masterpieces, according to some people. And truth be told, I haven't seen his entire filmography. Well, nobody has. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's far too many movies. I was going to say, the guy's been doing, what, a movie every year since, like, the 1960s. So, yeah. And also some that did not get released in the United States. So. Uh, especially now. <laughs> that That is true. Okay. Fair point. Fair point. Um, I felt like at the time when I saw this that... I remember seeing Vicky Cristina Barcelona. I think I saw Whatever Works. I did not see You Will Meet a Tall Dark Stranger. But I was just kind of like in this shrug, I don't care phase of Woody Allen because he just wasn't exciting me as a storyteller. Visually, um, in the way that his movies all seem to be exactly the same. <laughs> I don't think he was exciting anyone in 2011. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so needless to say, though, I saw this movie, thought it was perfectly fine, mostly because I think that the central premise, the idea of it, is actually pretty clever and unique, and it does afford for there to be some interesting possibilities for Alan to explore, like you were saying, Dan, nostalgia, the past. But yet the commentary that we do get out of that in the end is one that, yeah, it doesn't ring true to me. It sounds like it's just coming from uh, a very narcissistic uh, perspective and one that I just, you know, have a distaste for. Watching it again now, my feelings have not changed. And I didn't like it more. I was hoping to appreciate some other elements of it on this rewatch because we'll get into this later, but this was nominated for an Oscar for production design, for example. Mm -hmm. Darius Kanji is the cinematographer for it. There, There were certain things that I was on the lookout for on this latest viewing and walked away thinking the same thing I thought in 2011, which was... Oh my God! Is the best thing in this movie Corey Stahl? <laughs> I, I mean, just about. Like, <laughs> I think we will be unanimous on that front. <laughs> so, there's a couple of good supporting performances in this. I think that is the film's uh, saving grace because Owen Wilson. I don't think he's necessarily bad in this. I actually think that this is actually one of his. Uh, I wouldn't say better performances, but better suited performances is what I would say. Yeah, he very much fits the mold of a Woody Allen protagonist that's the thing like he if you wanted to have a woody allen protagonist in 2011 but not have it be woody allen owen wilson is about the best you were you were gonna do Mm -hmm. and and he's good in a script that acts that asks remarkably little of him exactly yeah i guess the first thing i want to ask uh both of you Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our 2011 review for Midnight in Paris on the Next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the full over hour and a half long review, you will have to head on over to Next Best Picture's Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you'll get the rest of this review and other exclusive podcast content from us as well. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, where you're proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... 
The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.